Our God is a missionary God, and we are His missionary people. You're listening to The Scent Life, the official podcast of the Center for Great Commission Studies at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Your church on mission, what does that look like? In the last episode of The Scent Life, we talked about how your church can be involved in missions by raising up within your congregation people and sending them overseas. Many of you may wonder, how in the world do I do that? Today, we have the answer to that question. Welcome to The Scent Life. Today, we're going to interview Alan Garnett, who is representative for the International Mission Board. So thank you for tuning in. Welcome to The Scent Life. Uh, again, usual suspects here. I'm Greg Mathias alongside of Scott Hildreth. Uh, glad to be back with you. Always grateful for our listeners and the maestro behind all the mics, uh, Nathan. Uh, he is uh, the one that makes us sound smarter than we actually are and uh, makes us a helpful podcast. Because one of us has a face for podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you figure out which one. Uh, anyway, we're, we're excited today uh, on this episode of The Scent Life. Uh, we have with us Alan Garnett. Uh, he is with the International Mission Board. Alan, thanks for taking time to join us on the Scent Life podcast. Glad to be here. Yeah, and so, Alan, just in case you don't know or are not as familiar with the International Mission Board, of course, International Mission Board is uh, kind of our cooperating sending agency internationally. Uh, that's our primary partner here at Southeastern, uh, along with other Southern Baptists as well. And so, Alan Garnett spends a lot of time connected not only to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, but he oversees quite a bit of sending. His role is a consultant in assessment and deployment. It's a lot to put on a business card, Alan. So <laughs> explain to our listeners, what does that actually mean? Okay. My, my primary role is walking alongside uh, uh, folks as they apply to serve with the IMB overseas. So as they're going through the application process, I'm the one doing their interviews, reviewing their material, helping them to, to discern timing, uh, and location and, and all of those kind of things as they walk that journey. Uh, the second hat I wear is as affinity rep for Sub-Saharan Africa. Okay. Uh, so, so somebody helping people who, those that are applying to jobs in Sub-Saharan Africa, I'm helping them finalize that job match and get connected to the field. Okay. Great. That's Great. good. So somebody in my church wants to, feels like God's calling them to missions or isn't sure if God's calling them to missions, mm-hmm. you're the guy we call. Yes, sir. Oh. Get on the website. Okay. That's easy way. Get on the imb.org website. Okay. There's a button at the top that says go. Mm-hmm. Click on that and just follow the links through to start the application. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then if the if you're from North Carolina, then your information is going to come to me. Okay. Uh, we do have the, the U.S. divided into nine regions. So mm-hmm. there are nine consultants. And my region is the state of North Carolina. Okay. All right. Good. Fantastic. So somebody interested at all, uh, at any point in the process, thinking about the nations and the International Mission Board, go to imb.org, click on Go, and that'll connect you not only to the IMB, but uh, to Alan Garnett, and he'll help you walk through that process. So talk some about the process, Alan. Over the last few years, how has that changed? Because it has changed a little bit. Uh, maybe what... What is the process like now, and who's involved in that process? Okay. Primarily, it's the applicant and me working together okay. through the process. 
There is a point after the initial interview where I send the applicant information to their local church, okay. who will be their sending church, and there is a church assessment uh, step in the process. So typically that means the pastor is sitting down, having some conversation with that person, and then returning a church assessment form to me, which is the church's affirmation of that person as an applicant with the IMB. That's really still early in the application process. Mm. So once we get that church affirmation, then we send what we consider the full application. And that's where you're doing the majority of the paperwork, writing your Christian belief statements, autobiography, references, background check, financial statement, health screening, children's (laughs) screening. Uh, Yes, it's a lot, Uh, but it's, it's doable. That's great. So the process of being sent overseas... It's kind of a joint process, right? I mean, it's the church. Right. It's the individual or the family. It's the International Mission Board. Right. It's not and just... the field. That's right. And Oh, okay. Okay. So once once we get through the application process and it's complete, mm-hmm. then as you apply for jobs, we're going to connect you with the team leader on the field mm-hmm. who will reach out and have some dialogue, a little bit of an interview both an interview of mm-hmm. the field interviewing the applicant, right, right. but also the applicant interviewing the field. Okay. Okay. It's a two-way Good. dialogue there. Okay. And, and then the field tells us if they want to offer the job or not. Okay. Mm-hmm. So typically we say apply to up to three jobs at a time. Okay. Typically. That means you'll have three field interviews, you'll get three job offers, and it's still going to come back to the applicant to tell us which one they want to accept. Okay. Okay. But it is a partnership. You're right. It's it's a partnership, the applicant, the IMB, mm-hmm. their sending church, and then the field who's receiving them. That's good. Mm-hmm. So most people think about missions. They hear their pastor preach a sermon. Uh, they're in a conference and J.D. Greer, David Platt, somebody preaches a sermon. I'm moved. Hey, I want to reach the nations. But I don't have any idea what I'm going to do. You mentioned several times jobs. What does that even mean? I mean, for some of these, some of our listeners are pastors who want to be able to guide their members. Some are may are, sure. are students or others. So, w- what can somebody do? They have a heart for missions. They want to see the world change. They want to reach unreached people group. Does that mean they have to just be a preacher, be a youth minister? I mean, what, when you talk about jobs, what kind of things are we think sure. about? Sure. Yeah, primary strategy. It's going to be kind of the foundation of all of our opportunities on the field. Okay. Is going to be evangelism and church planting. Okay. Okay, that's that's foundational. Mm-hmm. Currently, um, the last I heard is about 75, 70, 75 percent of our, our personnel in the field are serving in restricted access locations. What does that mean? So they cannot openly call themselves a missionary. Okay. Okay. So they have to have something that legitimizes their presence there. Mm-hmm. And we often call it a platform. And maybe a business platform, and maybe teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be a variety of things. But there's, and and you don't have to come up with your own platform to go. But you're going to join an existing team on the field, mm-hmm. and so you're joining their platform. Okay. Uh, so those platforms can be a variety of things. Uh, we do we do have a lot on a business platform. Mm-hmm. We've got folks that are teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe teaching English in a university, that type of thing. We've got engineers serving on the field. Uh, we have a lot of um, sub-Saharan Africa, especially some Southeast Asia. There's a lot of theological education okay. where somebody who has uh, a Ph.D. could go and teach at a seminary okay. wow. uh, on the field. Wow, uh, That's one of our 
especially in, in Africa, that's one of our challenges mm. is the prosperity gospel okay. has just saturated the African mm. church. Mm. So trying to get some theological educators in there to work with nationals and improve their theology yeah. and, and get it back to, to where it should be. Okay. Okay. So you mentioned uh, all the pieces uh, of this process, the partnership, which I really love, uh, putting the local church kind of central in that, in that conversation, even with the field as well. Right. So how how long should one expect to this process to take? Good question. Typically for a midterm assignment, which is a two or three year assignment, so journeyman, if you're familiar with that term, uh, typically the the midterm application is an average of six to eight months mm-hmm. to get through the process. Okay. For long term, so looking at three years or longer, career, uh, that's more of a 12 to 14 month process. Okay. So let me ask you this, what about, and I've, I've been at this for a while and so have you, Alan. So <laughs> what about that listener out there, that young man or that young woman uh, who may just be uh, turning their eye towards somebody else and entering into a relationship? They love God and they love the nations and they've started the process. What would you recommend to them at this point? What happens with a dating relationship or if somebody were to get engaged or get married while they're in the process? Okay. That is one of those life events that is common in this process. Yes. Uh, so typically we, we don't send someone over uh, on a two-year assignment in a dating relationship. Okay. Uh, sometimes exceptions are made to that, but as right. a general rule, yeah. we would prefer putting the application on process, uh, on hold, okay. and pursuing the relationship and see where it goes. Good. Good. If it progresses and leads towards marriage, then... We hope to see you come back as a married couple in the okay. future. Okay. After you've been married a year, okay. we can send you overseas. Okay. You can be in the application process during that year. I see. But you have to be married at least a year before before you would be b- before you deploy. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, now, if pursue that relationship and it fizzles and goes nowhere, then you come back and pick up the process where you left off. Okay. Right. Good okay. Deal. So you talked about taking a year or so mm-hmm. for a long term. Are uh, are people raising support, financial support, to go to the International mm. Mission Board? How, how, do, how do missionaries live when they serve with the International Mission Board? Yeah, all of our, our two-year and longer assignments are all fully funded. Okay. So there's no fundraising involved. Right. The, those funds are provided by Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. It's, it's cooperative program giving. Okay. It's Lottie Moon giving, mm-hmm. uh, our primary sources. Uh, so... No, there, it's fully funded, no fundraising needed, no fundraising allowed, really, right, right. Uh, because it is fully funded. Sure. So the, pro- I think the reason we want to make that point is that a missionary who goes with the International Mission Board is a Southern Baptist missionary, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they're, they are represented right. and are supported by the 50-plus thousand Southern Baptist churches. Right. And uh, serve with the International Mission Board alongside Southern Baptists. And I think that's one of the beauties of our denomination. Yes. Is the cooperative program or Light of Moon Christmas offering the way that we are able to support and send missionaries. So right. the IMB is our conduit for getting uh, for getting Southern Baptist missionaries to the field. Yeah. It really is a uniqueness yeah. uh, that we have as, a, as an organization, as a denomination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we were in conversation yesterday, and I think you said even uh, uh, currently, uh, Lottie Moon is doing well. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's uh, pretty healthy right now. I think it's over, what is it, over $5 billion, uh, at this point total uh, in, yeah. in the history. But giving is up, and 
uh, cooperative program uh, continues to be uh, steady uh, as well. And so uh, it's a good time uh, to consider being right. sent uh, overseas. And so let me ask you this. You, you talked some as well uh, about uh, theological education. Uh, we know there are certain jobs out there, but but how does uh, theological education fit into the process and being sent? Is it required? Is it recommended? Sure. Yeah, for for our long term uh, for our long term personnel, there is minimum theological education requirements okay. to be appointed as an apprentice, which apprentice is the first three year term for long term service. Uh, there is a minimum twelve hours of seminary required, okay. mm-hmm. uh, and then. By the time you finish that apprentice term and are ready to go back to the field as career on your second term, it's a minimum of 20 hours mm-hmm. required. Okay. Down the road, if somebody wants to be a team leader on the field, mm-hmm. then they need to have a minimum of 30 hours okay. of seminary. Okay. So we don't require a full seminary degree for our career missionaries, though I would say I, th- I think we're an organization that would always say more education is better. Okay. Sure. Right. So it's not that we're we're certainly not discouraging people from doing a full mm-hmm. degree. Right. But there is those minimum requirements. Right. Yeah. 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 And just for our listeners, I mean, I, I know you may not want to say this, but in terms of theological education, I mean, there is one Great Commission seminary. And so we'll just leave <laughs> that here. But, uh, but outside of that... Um, why don't we shift just a bit uh, to those that are either considering going, uh, maybe that's down the road quite a bit, or perhaps they're about ready to click on that go button. Uh, as you've walked with people, and you've walked with uh, men and women and families over a number of years and, and walked them through to the point of being sent, what are some things, maybe common things you've seen uh, that might either slow people down in the process Uh, or perhaps even, maybe even stop them in the process. Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary exists to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. Located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, we offer over 40 degrees, ranging from a Bachelor of Arts to a Doctor of Philosophy. The Master of Divinity is Southeastern's flagship degree for anyone seeking to be thoroughly equipped to serve their local church through a variety of ways. Since 1950, Southeastern has grown its student body to more than 5,000 students who seek to minister in the U.S. and around the world. We believe that theological education is more than just building knowledge. It's about becoming who God has called you to be. No matter how God is calling you to serve, Southeastern will come alongside you and help you to grow in your faith and go to reach the lost. If you're interested in learning more, check out sebts.edu to find out how God might be calling you to go next. Use the code THESENTLIFE, all caps, no spaces, and Southeastern will waive your application fee. Yeah, probably the the biggest issue uh, is medical and lifestyle issues. Okay. Um, there are some medical conditions that require a lot of care mm-hmm. that 
we cannot provide for overseas okay. as an organization. So there is a, a list uh, of those of those medical conditions. There are other medical conditions that would be looked at on a case-by-case basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that may even result in a medical restriction on where that person mm. could serve. Okay. So as they are looking at different opportunities around the world, we would have to clear that location with the medical office to ensure the medical care they need is going to be right. available. Good. So our, our, our medical team does a good job of looking at that collectively, uh, comprehensively. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's frustrating, but it is for the good of the individual right. that we do all of that. Yeah. Uh, we do want to make sure that our people are going to be healthy mm-hmm. and able to do the job on the field. Right. And then it's also really, it's a stewardship issue right. uh, of the more we can keep our medical costs down on the field, mm-hmm. the more missionaries we can put That's on the field. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a both and, but okay. first priority is, is personal mm-hmm. health. Good. So health issues, uh, children's issues, um, education, developmental uh, issues can cause a delay. If a child is in speech therapy, mm. they're going to have to complete that speech therapy and be released before we can clear them to go overseas mm. okay. because we can't provide speech therapy in English overseas. Uh, that's a good point. Okay. So things like that uh, that have to be considered. Um, we do have some some parameters on lifestyle issues mm-hmm. that sometimes will slow people down. Okay. Uh, that um, we try to to start addressing those early in the process. So if it is going to be an issue, people know that up front and Mm. can plan accordingly. Uh, But an example of that is uh, pornography use. We we need to see someone clean from pornography for at least a year before we send them overseas. And we have some things in place to to try to help them address that, Mm -hmm. uh, both within the application process as well as hopefully referring them back mm-hmm. and getting them connected with their local church mm-hmm. for support. No, that's good. That's helpful. So following up on that, for those listening, maybe they're a pastor in a church, uh, maybe they uh, work with an association that are thinking about, uh, maybe they even have some people in their congregation that are wanting to go or already in the process. But how might you encourage them uh, in, in, in light of some of these issues that can slow people down or perhaps even stop them? What might you encourage them, or what have you seen maybe with other churches to get out in front of this a bit, to be proactive as opposed to reactive mm-hmm. uh, to some of these things? Any any thoughts there? Yeah, I think a lot of it is is education for church leadership on what are the expectations okay. of the IMB. So we as consultants are thrilled to have that conversation with pastors, with Good. church staff, okay. uh, to, for that very reason, to help them be proactive. Hmm. Uh, we want to see that strength of partnership with the local church. Mm. And so when we get to that church assessment time, that step in the process, I have had churches that have said, we don't think this person is ready to go. Mm. We want to take six months and work with them on this issue before we affirm them to move forward. Mm. Great. That is the local church taking responsibility for their people. And that's what we want to see. Discipleship. It is. It is. Uh, So, and and then as churches... um, Ask for it, need it. We try to help resource them. Okay, good. Um, if we've got some resources that we use to help someone work through an issue, we're glad to share that with the with the local church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would much rather have a staff person 
who is seeing this applicant face-to-face on a weekly basis mm. walk through an issue with them rather than me doing it sitting in an office in yeah. Richmond. Well, that's good. That's okay. right. I can do that, right. but it's going to better support the person mm. to have someone local good. that they're they're related to and accountable that's to. Good. So what we keep hearing the, over and over, which I love, is this really is a partnership. It's not just uh, a church or someone else uh, either going to the IMB or them handing off people to the IMB and the IMB takes them. It's really working step by step throughout the process because the church is sending, but also partnering with the IMB to be right. sent as well. Right. I think there's a traditional perspective within our denomination mm-hmm. of churches sending people to the IMB mm. and the IMB sends them out. Mm. We want to shift that a little bit to the local church is the sending entity. Good. And they're sending people through the IMB, not okay. to the IMB. That's a great. That's a great point. So, talk, Alan. Um, if there are pastors or staff members listening, give some counsel on that end. We talked a little bit earlier about, hey, I feel like God's called me. What do I do? I go to the website mm-hmm. and click go. <laughs> but now I'm a pastor. I'm a staff member. Mm-hmm. I want more people from my church to go to the field, or I've got a couple or some folks in my church who are expressing interest. How would you coach the staff member or the pastor to interact with the International Mission Board so you can have a healthy partnership in sending, caring for these missionaries? Right. There is an aspect of, of my role as consultant that I am, I am the consultant for the applicant, but I'm, I'm, I'm also available to be a coach for the church. Hmm. And so if, they, if a pastor wants to have that conversation, uh, they can be in touch with the, the consultant their applicant is working with, and there can be that, that depth of partnership as well. I think along with that, there are some areas that I typically talk to people about. If you think this is in your future, here's some things that you could be doing now that's going to better prepare you mm-hmm. to enter the application process and serve with the IMB. And, and so I think that's a place, too, that a pastor can be proactive with someone who is having that conversation with him. What are some of those things? So some of those things would be uh, ministry leadership experience. Okay. Anything that's giving leadership experience in a ministry context. Okay. Leading a Bible study, okay. leading a small group, discipling mm-hmm. others, working with youth or children, anything that's going to give some leadership experience mm. in that ministry context. Good. Cross-cultural experience. Okay. Mm. We always think of overseas trips yeah. for cross-cultural but we're also looking at how is that person engaging people cross-culturally right where they live. Mm-hmm. Refugee ministry, inner city, ethnics, international students. There are so many opportunities around us if we just look and take advantage of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, another area is evangelism. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, I don't like to say this, but I think this is the weakest area of most mm-hmm. applicants. Wow is the lack of evangelism training or experience. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I do work closely with you guys here at Southeastern, mm-hmm. but if I have an applicant who is not coming off of the seminary campus where they've had an evangelism class and they're just coming to me for, mm-hmm. as a layperson from a local church, most often they've never had any evangelism training. Wow. Mm. So that's, that's a conversation I have with the applicants, but also an area where pastors can be proactive in providing evangelism training, right. teaching people, demonstrating, uh, having some hands-on practicum opportunities for people sharing their faith. Mm-hmm. 
when people get into the full application with us, they keep a witnessing journal. Mm-hmm. And are kind of expect to, to see a pretty consistent one to two entries a week mm. where they're being intentional to share the gospel for evangelistic purposes. Mm. Wow, good. Okay. Uh, so that's, those are, are some of those areas. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's helpful. And then in addition to that, health, mm. lifestyle. Right. Um, part of our medical screening, there is a BMI requirement. Okay. So if someone is uh, overweight, they might want to be looking at the the BMI scale and see where they're at. Okay. Okay. Uh, a person has to be under a BMI of 33 mm-hmm. to get medical clearance. Okay. Uh, so again, we try to uh, try to address those things early in the application mm-hmm. process, but also that's uh, an area that mm. a local pastor could be yeah. proactive with yeah. in talking with someone and just having those open conversations. Okay, good. Now that's really helpful, I think. Uh, some really good things to think about. And that idea of just having proactive, open conversations, I think is always uh, the best thing. So uh, again, we've been in an odd time. The whole world has been in an hmm. odd time for the last year plus. Uh, so right now from an IMB perspective, and, and we have many listeners thinking about the nations, uh, maybe uh, definitely praying for, but considering going, uh, can they go now, and are there positions and roles if they decided to get into the process with the IMB? Yes. Um, the major limitation that we have right now in sending is whether other co- countries are open <laughs> right. to receive us. Okay. Yeah. That, you know, can we get into that country? Mm-hmm. We've had several people on hold the last year because their country of assignment is not open. Okay. And so they've mm-hmm. been stuck here in the States waiting for that country to open up. Mm-hmm. But that's really our, our only limitation. Okay. Uh, we have continued through this past year. We are thankful for technology yes. that allows to do virtual meetings. Mm. Uh, even our interview conferences, we do those once a month. We've been doing a virtual conference every month uh, since last March. Good. And so that has not been an obstacle of people moving through the process because we are able to do things virtually Mm. uh and that's it's been different from us you know (laughs) not having face-to-face time with with people but at the same time we are very thankful for that technology that has allowed us to keep people moving forward Uh, and we we do have people coming into the process every week okay you know it's it's not something where people have stopped applying because of what's going on in the world uh we're we're still moving forward Man, that's so great to hear and encouraging. So the IMB is open and waiting for you. That's so right. Delay in that. So last question I have for you, Alan. Uh, right now, to a listener that that's struggling, like I, I think maybe I should go. Maybe I should consider. Maybe they're hovering their mouse over the the go button. What are two reasons you might say to them? Here's why you should really consider clicking that button and getting in the process to go now to the nations. What would you say to them? Okay. First, I would say if you're if you're that close and you're hovering over that button, there's a reason that you're there. You're a reason that you're at that place and God is at work. So click the button. <laughs> Second, clicking that button does not commit you to go. Mm, that's good. Entering the application process does not commit you to go. Yeah. I think a lot of our folks find that through the application process. God continues to refine and affirm mm. and clarify their call mm-hmm. to go. Yeah. I have also had folks that have gotten into the application process, and God has affirmed that they're not to go. Okay. Yeah. And they withdraw from the process. That's okay. Yeah. 
we're not trying to send people that God has not called. Mm-hmm. And so the, the application process can often be a, a time of discovery, a time mm-hmm. of exploring, and then see what God does with that. Yeah, no, that's helpful. Well, Alan, uh, we many thanks to you uh, today for being on the Scent Life podcast. Even beyond that, Alan, we have worked together for many, many years, and uh, the Lord continues to amaze us at what he's doing here at Southeastern. Mm-hmm. Uh, we love to send people out in partnership with local churches and with the International Mission Board. And to our listeners, uh, thank you for listening. And for those of you considering going to the nation's Right now, why don't you shoot a text, a phone call, an email to a a trusted mentor, a pastor, a friend, a roommate, and say, let's pray about this and help me have the courage to click the button to get in the process. Alan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys.